Uh, well, welcome. Glad to have you here uh, today. You know, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just do really, really stupid things. You know, sometimes I say something so dumb that I say to myself afterwards, like, why on earth did you say that? And, and sometimes I do things that are really dumb and I end up saying, Newfeld, what is the matter with you? And, and occasionally I end up thinking things that are uh, just cause me to give my head a shake, say, come on, what's the matter with you? And, and sometimes when I do those kinds of stupid things, those dumb things, sometimes they're just embarrassing and, and kind of harmless. But sometimes... Sometimes they're much more than that. Sometimes the things that I do and say and think end up causing all kinds of chaos in my world and in the world of people around me. And my world was going so good and everything was going just fine. And then it became a huge mess. And when that happens for me, I don't know about for you, but when that happens to me, I get into a big fight with myself in my head. And then that fight goes a little bit like this, like, what is the matter with you? What are you thinking? I mean, you're a grown adult. You should know better. And you're a follower of Jesus, so you shouldn't be doing that. And on top of that, it's your job to get up and, and tell other people how to follow Jesus. And so why are you thinking these things? Why are you saying these things? What is going on? And you know, and you know sometimes in the middle of that fight, I end up just beating myself up. I'm like, I can't believe it. I mean, what? what? I'm not a very good Christian sometimes, it seems like. And and other times, I try to unravel it in my mind. I try to figure out, like, what is going on? Why would I do this? And, and how do I fix this mess? And what do I do next? And, and for the next couple hours or sometimes for the next couple of days, you know, I just roll that around in my mind. So I'm, I'm in a meeting or I'm watching TV and someone asks me a question. It's like, huh? Sorry, could you repeat that? Because even though I'm, like, in the room, I'm a million miles away. That's me. I, I don't know. May, maybe that's you. Certainly it's what's going on for the Apostle Paul in this passage that we come to today at the end of Romans chapter 7. Only he didn't just keep this conversation in his head. He wrote it down on this letter that he was writing to a bunch of, of Christians in the city of Rome. And so as a result, we get a glimpse into the kind of conversation that's going on in Paul's head. And, and, and let me give you uh, sort of some background to what's going on. In the, in the two chapters before this part of the chapter that we're looking at, the Apostle Paul has been teaching Christians how to think about, how to understand, and how to deal with the sin in their lives. And so he has explained that, that you know, our call is to become more and more like Jesus. And that sin, by its very nature, wreaks havoc and pain and chaos in our lives. And therefore, we need to deal with the sin in our lives. And he has explained to us how that happens. He explains, first of all, that we have died to our old way of life so that the power of sin in our life has been broken. And then he explained that, that everyone is a slave to someone or something. Everyone has someone or something that, that drives them and guides them. And he says, for you as a Christian, it should be Jesus. You should choose him to be your master in your life rather than sin. And then as we talked about last week, he explained that we're no longer under the law. In other words, we don't live in a world of don't do this, don't do that, make sure you do this, and make sure you do that. Instead, he said, we live by the power of the Spirit. And so what he writes about sin and how to deal with it is profoundly insightful. It is incredibly practical, but, and this is where we're coming to today, what frustrates Paul to no end 
is that even though he knows all of those things and practices all of those things, he still has this sin in his life. He still ends up doing things that are so stupid, so contrary to the law of God that he can't understand why on earth he keeps on doing these things. And so in this section, he writes out these kind of thoughts that are going on in his head. And, and you know, when you're sort of wrestling with something in your head, it kind of twists and turns a little bit. And, and that's what happens in this passage. But as he, as he sorts it out in his mind, as he kind of walks his way through it, he, he, he surfaces a number of ideas, a number of ways of thinking that are incredibly insightful and very helpful for us as we too wrestle with the sin in our life. So let's look at what the man has to say. Romans chapter 7. Beginning in verse 14, here's what he writes. He says this, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. He says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. He says, this is the problem. I know what I ought to do. I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. But the things that I know that I shouldn't do, those are the things I end up doing. Now, right away in this passage, Paul makes a couple of observations that are important for us. First of all, he says this. He says, I know that the law is spiritual. In other words, what he says is, I understand that this is God's law and that it is right and good. So, so whatever it is that's going on in my life, it's not God's fault. It's not an issue with his word. That's the first thing that he says. But then, but then secondly, he acknowledges that this issue in his life, that the sin in his life is not other people's faults. The only word that he uses throughout this passage is I, 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 which is important because, you see, when sin comes into our life, we have a, a, a variety of ways that we deal with it. I mean, one of the ways that we do is to simply blame someone else. I did it because they did it to me. Basically, they made me do it, so I'm not at fault. Or if we don't blame someone else, we make excuses for ourselves. Well, I, there's so much pressure in my life these days. I'm so exhausted. I, I, just, I just had bad advice. I just wasn't thinking well. I mean, we often make excuses for the sin in our life. And sometimes we just minimize it. You know, look, 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 I know that I got in my car. I put it in gear. I rammed it through my neighbor's fence because I was so mad at him. But, you know, it really was an ugly fence. Uh, so I really was doing him a bit of a favor. Now he can build it so it looks better. I mean, you know, we have a tendency to minimize the sin in our life. Paul does none of these things. He says, the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. In fact, he, and he says, what I hate, I do. So here's the first deduction that Paul makes. He says, the problem is not out there. But then, what is this problem? He says, I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. You ever feel that way? You ever think, why do I keep having these thoughts? I don't, I don't want to think about this stuff. Why can't I keep my big mouth shut? Well, why do I keep taking things that aren't mine? Well, why don't I do what it is that I know that I ought to be doing? I mean, I want to. Look, if you, if you feel that way, if you've ever asked those questions, you're not alone. Because those are the questions that the Apostle Paul, the great spiritual giant who wrote half of the New Testament, those are the kinds of questions he's asking himself in this passage. 
See, this problem is a human problem. The prophet Jeremiah, hundreds of years before, he, he wrote this. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So Paul's like, I don't understand. But he's going to work it out. So he, here's what he says next in verse 16. He says this. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. He says, when I do what I don't want to do, I acknowledge that the law of God is good. Now, what's he saying here? Well, let me explain. Starts with vegetables, okay? Carrots or peas? Which is better? Now, maybe you're pretty fired up about that. Maybe you're like, well, obviously, carrots. Nobody likes peas. I mean, I mean maybe you're very passionate about that. But me, I don't really care. Carrots, peas, they're vegetables. They're good. I could do either or neither because they don't have like a big hold on my heart. Now, if you get to talk about football, I mean, you know, if it's like Green Bay Packers versus pretty much every other team in the NFL, I mean, it's, it's quite obvious. Clearly, that the Green Bay Packers are the, the best, the greatest team in the entire history of the NFL, and then really we should all be cheering for it. And, and I mean, I'd get a little bit more passionate about that if we got into a conversation, I, I, because the Green Bay Packers have a little corner of my heart. But if you really want me to be passionate, if you really want to get me fired up, you get talking about my family, about my wife and my kids. And if there's a problem there, or just in general, I'm deeply, deeply invested. Why? Because they have a huge part of my heart. And here's what Paul is saying. He says, I don't know why I don't do the things that I ought to do. And I don't understand why I, I do do the things that I, I don't want to do. But the fact that it bothers me so much means that I care deeply about what God thinks and about what his law says. Clearly, even though I struggle with my sins, God has done something in my heart because if he, if he hasn't, if he didn't, then I just wouldn't care. Which could be either really worrisome or incredibly hopeful for you, depending on how you respond to the sin in your life. Right? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus and you can identify no area of your life where you struggle with sin. If you're a follower of Jesus and if you do sin, you're like, well, it's not really a big deal. It happens. If the sin in your life causes you no, no anguish, no frustration, no soul searching, that should be worrisome for you. That, that says something about your heart. If, if your sin, if your concern about sin is on the same level as your feelings about peas and carrots, I mean, that's an issue that you should be paying attention to in your life. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, if you find yourself sinning and you're so discouraged, you say, I can't believe this. How could I be doing this again? If you would say, you know, some of the sin in my life, it's like, a, it's like a, I would describe it like I'm in bondage to this sin, like it's got me under its control. If you wrestle with sin and some days you say like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian because of this thing. Or, or I'm, I'm just not a good Christian. I mean, if you, if you do that, then what Paul writes here should give you a great deal of hope. Because it means that you care deeply about who God is and what his law says. It means that God 
is at work in your life and in your heart. See, this is the second conclusion the Apostle Paul comes to as he thinks through this problem in his life, and that's this. Because I struggle with sin, because it bothers me so much, clearly God has done something in my heart. The theologian Charles Cranfield writes this about what Paul writes here. These verses depict vividly the inner conflict characteristic of a true Christian. A conflict such as is possible only in the person in whom the Holy Spirit is active and whose mind is being renewed under the discipline of the gospel. In the person who understands the law, not legalistically, but in light of Christ, and so recognizes the real seriousness of its requirement, and who truly and sincerely wills to obey it and to do what is good and to avoid the evil. The more a person is renewed by God's spirit, the more sensitive they become to the continuing power of sin over their life. In other words, if you struggle with sin, if it bothers you, that's a good sign. It means that God is at work in your heart. It's the second conclusion that Paul comes to. Here's what he says next. In verse 17, he goes on to say this. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Oh, oh, Paul, did you just say it isn't me who sins? It's sin that sins? Like, are you just saying that the devil made me do it? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 he's not. Here's what he says next in verse 18. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Paul says, actually, the sin that, that I do, it, it lives in me. It's part of me, but not all of me. He says, there's a part of me that is my sinful nature. And that part, there's nothing good in it. That doesn't mean he doesn't do good in other parts of his life, but there's a part of him that is just bent toward sin. And that part, that doesn't die easily. You know, uh, last weekend, I went camping with another guy uh, we, we, we hiked up a mountain to this campsite. Uh, and if you've ever gone camping in the end of October, you know that it's cold and dark and wet. Uh, but we had a great time. It was really great. And, and, and because it was cold and dark and wet, we were in this abandoned campground, no one else crazy enough to be out there in a tent. Uh, we, we had a fire. We had like a real fire, like with real wood and real crackling and popping and and it was great. And that fire, I mean, it just gave such good light and such heat for about an hour and a half until we ran out of firewood. And then it began to burn down. And then all that was left were these sort of hot embers, these hot coals. And they didn't give much light anymore. But if you put something on that, if you put a stick on there or a piece of paper, it would just flare up right away, really bright. And, and this is what happens to sin in our life. As we live for Jesus, as we follow what Paul teaches us in, in Romans chapter 6 and the first part of Romans chapter 7, the, the, the light, the, the, the brightness, uh, the fire of sin dies down in our life. And all that remains are these, are these hot embers. The Christian writer and thinker John Calvin, who lived in the 1500s, he, he, he describes it this way. He says this, the children of God are free through regeneration. In other words, through coming to faith in Christ. They're free from bondage to sin. Yet there still remains in them a smoldering cinder of evil from which desires continually leap forth to allure and to spur them to commit sin. 
See, this is what Paul is talking about. That cinder of evil and sin can flare up sometimes without warning. And that cinder of evil, that, that sinful nature, that doesn't go away easily. I mean, people have tried. Believe me, they have tried. There's a, a period of time in the time of the early church, like the three or four hundreds after Jesus came, three or four hundred AD, where a number of monks decided that they were going to put utterly to death the sinful nature in them, like no problem with sin whatsoever. So they went to the extremes. They said, well, I need to remove myself from where there's any temptation. So there's stories of guys who live like 50 years in a, in a cave and others who literally buried themselves in burning sand up to their neck in, in an effort to kind of burn the sin out of their life. Others who slept on like a bed of thorns or, or a bed of broken glass. There's this one guy famous, uh, Simon or Simeon the Stylitis, who lived for 30 years on top of a column so that nothing could get near him, so that nothing could tempt him. But you know what? If you read what they wrote, if you listen to what their disciples told about what they, they heard, they wrestled with sin in all kinds of ways. Why? Well, if they'd read what Paul wrote here, they would come to the conclusion that Paul does, which is, that when it, which is this, when it comes to sin, the problem is in me. It's inside of me. Thus the saying, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there sin is. I mean, you could go to the monastery. You could throw away your phone. You could stop contact with people. It wouldn't matter. The sin comes from within you. John, John Owen, the famous writer of, of Pilgrim's Progress, right, says this about sin. Our enemy is not only upon us as it was upon Samson when the Philistines came upon him, but it is also within us. You know, I once had a Bible school professor uh, when I went to Bible school, uh, a short, fiery little Scottish guy named Billy Strachan. And he preached with his Scottish brogue, and he was passionate about Jesus, and he loved Jesus. And he, he lectured us regularly in our classes, and he was a brilliant teacher, and he lived his life clearly for Jesus. And a number of times he said this. It stunned me. He said, after, after lecturing for like an hour about from the Bible and the glory of Christ, he said, there is no sin that I couldn't commit 30 seconds after getting off of this stage. And he was right. Pride, jealousy, anger, murder. It's one of the reasons why I didn't go see him right after lecture, because I never knew. But he made a, a powerful point. Be careful not to become complacent about sin in your life. It's like this smoldering cinder that can flare up at any kind of time. And Paul sees this in his life and he's so frustrated by it. You, you, you know when you're frustrated, when, when you're struggling with something, you kind of roll it around in your head and you, you kind of circle back again. That's what he does next. Here's what he says in 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20, he says this. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin in me that does it. And then he goes on to say this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. He says, I, I, I see this law, like, like a law of nature, only it's a law that has to do with, with good and evil. And the law is this. Wherever there's, a, a, wherever there's an opportunity to do good, there's also an opportunity to do evil. They're both present at the same time, which means 
that there is going to be a battle. In fact, that's what he describes next. He says this in verse 22. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He says, there's a battle. It goes on between my mind and the rest of me. Literally in Greek, he says, between my mind and the members of my body. Now, when he says this idea of the members of my body, he's not saying that, that the human body is bad. Right? He's not saying your body, your flesh is sin, that your body is sinful, not, not your flesh and bones. In fact, the, the, the Bible holds a very, very high view of the human body. So it's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that, 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 that sin manifests itself through your mouth, the words that you say, through your hands, the things that you do, your feet, the places that you go. So that's what he means when he says the sin comes through the members of our body. But really, the battle that goes on is, is between our mind and our desires. And again, not all our desires are wrong. There are desires that we have that are really good. But when sin comes, it always tempts us to follow the desires that will give us a short-term gain, but ultimately lead to long-term pain in our life. And the next time that you're tempted, if you're able to, it's not always easy, but if you're able, try to pull yourself back and watch what's going on in your life. And you'll see that there's a battle between your mind and your desires. And your mind will say, no, this, is, this will cause us grief down the road. And your, your desires will say, oh, no, it will feel so good. And the battle is on and the war is on. In fact, that's, that's the language that Paul uses. He talks about the, the law of sin waging war against us. And so here's what Paul comes to the conclusion. He says this, this whole thing is just going to be a battle. Your desires are going to make demands. Your desires are going to say, obey me. And if you do, I will reward you. Disobey me and I will bring you misery. You will not feel good. You will not be pleased. You will not be happy. You will not be satisfied. And your mind will say, let's not do that. It will cause us grief down the road. And that battle will rage. And you will know that you are losing that battle when your mind begins to rationalize your desires, begins to justify them, begins to make excuses for them. Then, as Paul says, you become a prisoner of, law, of the law of sin at work in your life. Paul says, look, this is war. It's a battle. And you should expect it. Augustine, the great father of the church, one of the great fathers of the church, back in 418 AD wrote this. During this earthly pilgrimage, our life cannot be free from temptation. For none of, none of us comes to know ourselves except through the experience of temptation. Nor can we be crowned until we have come through victorious. Nor be victorious until we've been in battle. Nor fight our battles unless we have an enemy and temptations to overcome. This battle, this is part of the Christian life. And how does Paul feel about this whole thing? Here's what he says next in verse 24. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Man, I love his honesty. That word wretched, I mean, that can be translated miserable, distressed, afflicted. In essence, Paul says, this sucks. I hate this. 
But what he's saying here, what he's saying here is not a cry of despair. Rather, just a cry of frustration because he's, he's not in despair because he has a hope that is outside of him. He, he has a place he's going to look to for rescue. That, that's why he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Note what he doesn't say. When he gets to the battle with sin, he doesn't say, you know what? I just got to dig deeper. I, I just got, I, I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to memorize it more. I'm going to, I'm going to watch less TV. I'm going to pray more. I, I, I'm going to lick this thing. That's not what he says. No, no, he says, who will rescue me? And here's how he answers his own question in verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the conclusion that Paul comes to, and that's simply this. I need Jesus. I will not win this battle on my own. I need a savior. I need someone who has gone before me, who has done this life, who understands the temptation, but who didn't sin. And not as just an example to look at. Jesus isn't just like, hey, here's good luck. Try to, try to do what he did. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that he died and suffered in your place to pay the price for your sins so that his power that his spirit might dwell in you to give you the strength to resist the temptation and the sin in your life. And if you look carefully at what Paul says in this passage, you'll see that he's already hinting to the kind of victory that is to come. In fact, he, he says, you know, he says, who will rescue me from this body of sin? Now, again, when he talks about the body of sin, he's not talking about your physical body. That is a good thing that God has given us. But he's saying, who, who, will, who will rescue me from this sin nature that lives in me and that continually sort of flares to life? And the answer comes in the next chapter. In chapter 8, about 23 verses in, he's going to say some other things first, but he comes to this. Here's what he says. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, in other words, who, who have come to faith in Jesus, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, Adoption of sons and daughters. The redemption of our bodies. Ah. Paul says, look, we groan under the weight of sin in our life. We battle it. We, we wrestle with it. We're frustrated with it. But he says, the day is coming. The day is coming when we stand in glory before Jesus and we have a new body, a resurrection body, a body that has been redeemed. And in that day, we will no longer have sin dwelling in us. We will no longer wrestle with sin in our life. That is the hope that we have. See, here's what Paul, Paul's alluding to here. And that says we will ultimately be victorious. Which is important to see because of what Paul says next. Here's what he says next. He says, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Now it can sound like at the end of this passage that Paul simply resigns to the fact that sin is going to be, you know, that, that he's going to give in to sin. But that's not the case. This is not a resignation. This is a recognition. You know, we have this hope for the day that is, uh, for, for the day to come when we will no longer struggle with sin. We have Jesus' power in our life to deal with sin. But to think that somehow... In this life, our battle with sin will end. To think that somehow the good Christian life means that you won't struggle with sin. 
Paul says, no, no, no. That's simply not the case. You're going to battle with sin throughout your, all, your life. So don't be discouraged. You should expect it. And you should engage in it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't just say, oh, it is what it is. No, 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 no. It's worth the fight. It's worth the battle against sin in your life because as I have said a number of times in this series, the greatest threat to your peace and your joy and your contentment and happiness has nothing to do with your money, nothing to do with your career, nothing to do with who you married or didn't marry. It has everything to do with sin because sin will destroy your life unlike anything else in this world. So it's worth the battle. But let's go back and look at what Paul has said when it comes to sin in our lives. He says, the problem, the problem is not out there. He says, and, and because we struggle with sin, that means that God is at work in our lives. He says, the problem is in here. The problem is in me. Which means there's going to be a battle. Which means that I need Jesus. And I know that we'll ultimately be victorious. So, battle. Battle the sin in your life. And if you lose the battle, don't beat yourself up. Don't walk around like, I can't believe it. I'm such a, I'm such a loser. I'm a terrible Christian. I can't. No, 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 no. Remember, this is a battle that even the Apostle Paul had to battle. And in the, in the next chapter, in, in chapter 8, which we're going to begin to look at next week, I mean, Paul is going to explain the incredible hope that we have, the resources that we have, the, the power of Jesus and the Spirit to, to deal with the sins in our life. We're going to look at it next week, but, but as we end this week, I, I, I want to read for you the very first words of the next chapter. Really, the the, verse, the, the very first words that Paul writes next after this long conversation about I wrestle with sin. Here, here's what he says next. Therefore, in light of all of this struggle in my life, in your lives, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. I don't do what I, what I know I ought to do. I, I, I do what I don't want to do. I can't believe it. What a wretch. No, no, no. No condemnation. No shame. No scorn. Because of what Jesus has done for you. Look, around here, we, we all struggle with temptation and sin. In fact, it is just part of the Christian life. And so we have said that at this church or at Ridge Church, we have said that we are not a sanctuary for saints. We are a school for sinners. In other words, this place is not about, hey, I come and I got it all together and I look like a good little Christian and I just put on a good face and I, and I just, we all just act like we all got it all together. That's simply not true for any of us. We all struggle. We all got our burdens. We all got our baggage we all struggle with sin. This place is not a sanctuary for saints. Instead, it's a school for sinners. It's a school for people who say, I acknowledge that I struggle with sin in my life. I battle it and sometimes I fail. But I want to follow Jesus. I want to do what he calls me to do. And so I'm going to come and together we're going to walk together and we're going to learn together how to follow Jesus. And when we fail 
And when we fall down, there's no shame. There's no, no, you know, there's no condemnation. Instead, we say, let's, let, let's, let's go at it again. Let's just keep following Jesus together. Grace and grit. Grace for one another. Grit, encouragement to continue to look at Jesus. So together, together we, we follow Jesus. Because in the end, in the end, there is no better life to live than to follow the one who gave his life for us. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that the Apostle Paul, this, this giant of the faith, would be so raw and so honest about his struggles. Because God, you know there's a truth for us. You know our hearts. You know the struggles we have. God, thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that instead of shaming us, instead of, you know, ridiculing us, there's no condemnation. There's just this hope. And Father, where we battle, Lord, would you grant us courage? Would you grant us strength by the power of your spirit because of what Jesus has done in our life to continue to battle? To just understand this is part of this life. But God, thank you for the hope that we have. That one day we will stand with you in glory and there will be no more sin in our life. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain. God, we look forward to that day. But until that day, we look to Jesus to give us the strength we need. So God, we, we humble ourselves before you. We repent of our sins again. God, we ask you to work in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, thank you for coming and joining us today. We're talking about real stuff. We're talking about life. But the battle and the challenges of following Jesus is good to wrestle. It's good to get deep into the word of God and understand what it says for our lives. You know, Jesus came and he lived a life too. And he lived, he, he understands the, the, the temptation that we have. And yet he was without sin. So today I want to send you out with this words from the, the writer of the book of Hebrews. Here's what he writes. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You just keep going to Jesus. You trust him. He's such a good God. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.